This morning we're looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the first 16 verses. You'll find find it on the screen behind me, on the screen in front of you, if you've got it with you. Um, Follow along uh, like that. It may be a familiar passage uh, to you. Um, So, Hebrews 11, 1 through 16, before we read, let's pray. God, once again, we, we thank you for this time, this space where, where we can pay attention to you, where we can open ourselves up, where we can allow you, in some cases, to, to open us up so that we might hear your voice. So startle us, uh, wake us up uh, if we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews 11. Starting at verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I'm just going to give you a heads up. We're going to kind of hang out with those words all the rest of our time together. But there's more that we're going to read because I'll touch on it. But that's the one. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered God faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is good as dead, which is another way of saying dude was old, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, 
they would have had opportunity to return. But we can go back. Instead, they were longing for something better. They were longing for something better, hoping for something better, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We'll go that far. <laughs> Love you, Beth. This is great. <laughs> I did ask God to startle us, to wake us up, so I appreciate your help in that. So faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's confidence in what we hope for. And assurance about what we don't yet see. Oh, I love that. I really do. Faith. Everyone has faith. Everyone does. Everyone has faith, at least in the way that the writer of Hebrews defines it for us. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Right? Faith. You've all heard this one. Um, every time you sit in a, sh- a chair, you're demonstrating faith. Right? You hope that it's going to bear your weight. And because you're confident in that hope and because you're assured, you sit down. And most of the time, it holds your, your weight. Of course, we demonstrate faith in all sorts of different things. Right? And these days, many of those things are human creations. Many of those things are things that, uh, that have been made by human hands and human brains and thoughts and, and ingenuity. We, we put our faith in technology. We put our faith in cars, computers, cell phones. Uh, we put our faith in running water, like I'm going to turn the knot. It's going to come on. We put our faith in toilets. Think about that one. Like, we put an incredible amount of faith in our toilets that what, whatever it is that's deposited in there will be taken away. Otherwise, we would not do that. We would go outside and do that. We put an incredible amount of faith in our toilets. We demonstrate faith in the things that we've created, the things that, that we've made, human technology. How many of us would fly in a plane that was run by a computer that was programmed beyond the intellectual control and comprehension of the pilots who fly them. We do it all the time. That's reality. That's the way things are. Computers are no longer as smart as the people who program them. Only as smart. They learn. They grow. They evolve. AI, anyone? Like, it's coming. What do we think about? All of that. In a Boeing 747, the navigational system is often called FRED. It's FRED's job to tell where the plane is, to know what the flight plan is. And if there's a deviation from that flight plan, the computer system will make small adjustments to make sure that it gets back on path all on its own. So every time we drive in an airplane or we ride in an airplane, we're traveling thousands of feet in the air, way up high, at a rate of hundreds of miles an hour in something that runs software that the pilots don't completely understand. Imagine that. Faith. It's confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about that which we do not yet see. And the ironic thing is this. 
seems much easier for us to put our faith in the things that we've created, in the things that human hands have made, in technology, than it is for us to have faith in the promises of God that have come down to us through other human beings thousands of years ago collected in this book we call the Bible. Like, having faith isn't as easy as having proof. We, we would rather be sure of the things that we do see, right? Sometimes it's much harder to have faith in the promises of God. Think about this. That have come down to us through thousands of years of tradition, right, collected for us in this book we call the Bible. It's hard. And, and we're going to think about this a little bit deeper by thinking about the promises we talk about in baptism. So we're going to, I'm going to run through the liturgy of baptism real quick and talk about the promises we say God makes to us in baptism. And I'll show you what this looks like. So in baptism, God promises to forgive our sins. That's what we say. Every time we baptize someone, whether they're a little itty-bitty baby or whether they're a full-grown adult, we say the same thing. God promises to forgive us our sins. Now, given the things that I've done, <laughs> long list, given the things that you've done, given the things that we've done collectively, that humanity has done collectively, why would a why would a perfect divine being even want to forgive us? You think about the state of the world. Why would a perfect divine being even want to wipe the slate clean, make us whiter as snow, whiter than snow? Like, we know how hard it is to forgive. How much harder would it be for God to forgive all of us? Like, it takes faith. It takes faith to accept something like that. In baptism, God promises to forgive our sins. God also promises to adopt us into the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The church. God wants to take each of our small, tiny, little, insignificant lives. He wants, us to, he wants to put all of us together to create a community that becomes the body of Christ the very presence of Jesus in a world that's lost and broken. I mean, look at us. God must be crazy. Think about that. It takes faith to believe that. God promises to forgive our sins, to adopt us into the body of Christ, the church, to send the Holy Spirit daily to renew us, to cleanse us, to transform us, to change us, to make us new. Given the sorry state of my life and our lives and the horrific things that we continue to do, even though we're forgiven and we know it, God still sends the Spirit to renew us and cleanse us and make us new. Sounds like a whole lot of hard work to me. Why would God want to go through that kind of trouble? It takes faith to believe that. God promises in baptism to forgive us our sins, to adopt us into the body of Christ the church. It's crazy. To send the Spirit to renew us and cleanse us. And the fourth thing we say is to resurrect us to eternal life. Wait, what? To resurrect us to eternal life. Now this one doesn't make sense at all to our scientific, I need all the proof I can get brains, right? 
Resurrection isn't something that we see every day. Resurrection is like beyond human comprehension. It takes faith to believe all of those things, to accept any of that stuff. And if we think about it, there are all sorts of other things that make it really, really difficult to have faith in a God that we do not see. Wars, famine, natural disasters, wildfires, tornadoes, derechos, hurricanes, they're coming. Right? People's rights being trampled on, whole sections of humanity who are being pushed out by the rest of humanity for who knows why. Right? We lose people we love, we grieve, we mourn, we wonder if we'll ever love again. We do things that we regret and we suffer the consequences. There are all sorts of things that we could, we could heap up all of these things that make it difficult to believe in a God that we can't see, and it would create a preposterous pile. It would be huge, ginormous. Sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard to keep our faith in a God that we cannot see. Can we just be honest about that? Sometimes our faith falters. But here's the deal. We're not alone in our faltering faith. And this little letter to Hebrews tells us that. Right? So, the author of this letter, which is really, it's more than a letter. It's like a, it's like a really long sermon. It's beautiful. If we would read the whole thing, it would take like an hour probably to read the whole thing out loud. So we're not going to do that. But it's really like a, a great sermon. So the author of Hebrews is writing to an audience filled with fear, filled with uncertainty. So they were tired, persecuted, pushed to the point where they almost lost their faith. Here we had a group of Jews and Gentiles, two very different groups of people trying to figure out how do they make this thing work together? How are they now connected to this ancient Jewish tradition as Jews and Gentiles, insiders and outsiders, as well as, as this thing called following Jesus? How are they going to make it happen? And because they, were, they had sworn their allegiance to another kingdom, this thing that Jesus called the, the kingdom of God, they were being persecuted harassed by another kingdom, the Roman Empire. So these were dangerous times for these people. It would have been easier for them to be like, nah, man, we cannot do this. Let's give it up. We're going to take the road that Peter took, and we're going to deny ever knowing Jesus. We're going to deny this whole faith stuff. It's not going to happen. So what these people needed was something to hold on to. And the author of the letter knows it. So the author wrote to encourage them in their faith. That's what the whole thing's about. The author wrote them to remind them that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about that which we do not yet see. The author wrote to remind them to keep their faith even though everything they saw around them and felt inside of them made it seem like God was nowhere to be found. Ever feel like that? The author wrote to remind them that they weren't the first ones to face all of these obstacles. The author wrote to remind them of, of what we might think of as the heroes of our faith. That list that the author goes down, right? Abel, Noah, Abraham, and on and on. Like the heroes of the faith. Like these are the, the spiritual giants. But here's the thing about these people he lists. 
They're not superheroes. The people the author lists are just normal people. They weren't glamorous rock stars of super-duper faith in God. That's not who they were. They were just ordinary people who also had faltering faith. They messed up just like you do, just like I do. Listen to this. After the flood, Noah went on a drinking binge. So, this Noah holds him up as a, like this hero of the faith. Noah, after the flood, immediately went on a drinking binge after the whole thing was over. It was like, oh, thank goodness we got through that. I'm going to tip a few back. Went on a drinking binge, got drunk, passed out naked in his tent to be found by one of his boys. Abraham lied about his wife to save his own skin, putting Sarah in grave danger Not one time, but two times. Jacob conspired with his mom, lied to his dad, cheated his brother Esau, starting a family feud that would make most of our family feuds look like nothing. Moses murdered an Egyptian. Rahab was a prostitute. This list goes on and on and on and on. It's almost as if the writer of Hebrews was saying something like this. You think your faith is weak and faltering? Look at these fools. I'm so glad that these stories were written the way they were written, right? Because they don't look like superheroes. They're just just as messed up as the rest of us. They didn't make this list because they were special. Most of them could be classified as failures. So what is it then? Why do we hold these people up? Why did these people make the the list of all-time faith leaders? I think I know why. Maybe you do too. These were all people who were willing to act on a vision even though the fruit of their faith couldn't be seen. In fact, they died before they got what God promised them. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Isn't that interesting? So these people are on this all-time faith leader list, like top 10, the goats, the greatest of all time, because their faith in what they hoped God had in store for them drove them, drove how they lived drove how they acted. These people understood that faith and hope cannot be reduced to a simple matter of the the heart and the head. It's not about getting the facts about God right and then believing those. True faith, true hope always moves from the heart and the brain and becomes a matter of the hands and the feet. This is just exactly what we've been talking about in James. Faith without works is dead. It isn't faith at all. So I read an article about three amazing people. One of them an American, one of them Canadian, one of them from Taiwan. These three people know a kind of endurance that most of us will never know. They ran uh, for 111 days straight. They ran the equivalent of almost two marathons a day. Like, imagine running two marathons in one day. Like, they averaged 44 miles a day. 
And this wasn't just anywhere. They did it across the Sahara Desert. You can Google it. Three people ran almost the equivalent of two marathons a day to cross the Sahara Desert on foot. So they started, touched the waters in Senegal, made their way through four countries, and finally made their way through Egypt and touched the waters of the Red Sea. And along the way, the three of them faced intense heat of over 100 degrees, sub-freezing nights, sandstorms, tendinitis, violent sickness, they didn't have toilets, violent sickness, and the usual aches and pains and blisters that come with running two marathons a day. They faced the challenge of water. Where do you find water when you're crossing the Sahara Desert? Good thing they had some, they had some Jeeps and stuff coming with them. And one, day that one, one time they had to go like miles and miles just to find them water. They went, they went like 10 or 11 hours without any water whatsoever. Right? But they made it. How did they do it? Well, here's talking to them afterwards. They said they tried it because they wanted to see if they could do something that most other people in the whole world thought was impossible. They did it because something inside them was sure that they could do it. They had a vision. They had a hope. And then they acted on it. And it was that intense belief that they could do it that got them through. Some people would call that faith. It's being confident in what we hope for, assured of that which we do not see. So here's the thing about faith. Faith and hope gives our, gives our lives trajectory. It gives us something to aim at. It gives us something to shoot for, something to strive for, something to run after. Faith and hope are future-oriented, right? Of course, it's much easier to live in the past, right? It's safe, secure, it's fixed, it's rock solid. You can't change the past. You know what you got. It doesn't take much faith to live in the past. So Abraham, when he was called by God to leave his home, he did it without knowing where he was going and never looked back. The writer of Hebrews says he was looking forward. It's much harder to look forward to the future. Because what's the future? The future is unknown. It's dangerous. It's insecure. It's fluid. It's yet to come. It's scary. It takes all the faith we can muster to live into tomorrow, to live into the future. But here's the thing about faith and hope. It can easily become wishful thinking. Easily. It can easily become wishful thinking when we're not willing to do anything, when we're not willing to act on them. So if we're not willing to work towards that which we hope for, it's just wishful thinking. We say, I hope that happens, but if we don't do anything about that hope, if we don't put any muscle behind it, it's just, you might as well say, I wish this would, do, I wish this would happen. If you hope for something, then you're going to put in the time and the effort to work towards the realization of that hope. That's what hope is. Friends, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you feel like life is like a long trudge. You're trying to run two marathons a day through the Sahara Desert. But my guess is that you have some things about life right now that you'd like to be different, that you'd like to have change. What 
do you hope for? Think about that. What do you hope for? If that hope is connected to Jesus and the things that Jesus taught and lived and embodied, things like love, grace, healing, forgiveness, welcome, inclusion, helping everybody have what they need to live a a full, flourishing life. If it's connected to that, then my guess is that hope that you're feeling in your heart, my guess is that that's a little gift from God. Now let that hope spur you on into action towards the realization of that hope in your life, in your family. What do you hope for? Have you been asked that question lately? Have you made a list lately? What about for this church? Think about this community right here. Renew community. Like we come here, we do this thing week after week after week. What do you hope for? For this church. What are your hopes? Anyone? Put you on the spot. Anyone? What do you hope for? An impact. What else? Anything? What do you hope for? You know what I've been hoping for lately? I've been hoping for, I've been hoping for college students. I don't know why. I've been hoping for college students. Maybe it's because I got one going to college and it's like I got to replace him somehow. <laughs> I'm hoping for college students. And so I want to do something about that. I don't know what yet, but I want to do something about that. You know what else I hope for? I hope that this place can continue to be a place of refuge. Because there are a lot of people who need refuge right now. There are a lot of people who need refuge because, well, they've been identified as as people who don't belong. So I want them to know that they belong. I I want this to become a place of of refuge for people who are, uh, who just need a place to ask questions, who need a place to explore, who need a place to to wonder when it comes about spirituality, comes to things about spirituality and the things of the divine. I want them to know that, hey, wherever you are, come on in, man. Ask questions, explore, be curious. It's okay. We love you for who you are. What else do I hope about? I hope for a lot of things. What else do you hope for? What do you hope for in your family? What do you hope for at work? Have you made a list? Make a list of the things that you hope for. And then let that hope in you spur you on towards the realization. Take some steps. Do something. Faith. Being confident in that which you hope for. And assurance of that which you do not see. Your faith then connects you to the one who holds your future. Let's pray.